Welcome to the Darkened Doorway podcast, your doorway to everything dark, crimey and weird. Hi Darklings, so today I'm going to tell you the story about the Gonzalez family. You ready for this Ellie? I am, I am. This one should be um, interesting. She has not allowed me to look at any resources or look into any of it. So yeah, I'm um, learning it all for the first time too. So buckle in with me. It's an interesting one. It's very close to home. Mm. Yeah, let's jump right in. Okay. So the Gonzales were a Filipino Australian family and they settled in Sydney in the suburb of North Ride. So in our Sydney zone, very exciting, I'm sure. The family was made up of Teodoro, who went as Teddy Gonzalez, his lovely wife, Mary Gonzalez. He had a son called Seth Gonzalez and the baby of a family, their daughter, Claudine Gonzalez. So these guys met and married in 1977 whilst they were both living in the Philippines. And Teddy was a lawyer and successful businessman. And Mary would end up actually working in the family business later. She was kind of an all hands on deck kind of wife. They had their son, Seth, in 1980 and their daughter, Claudine, in some sources said 1983. And I was like, oh, go 1983, babies. But uh, I think (laughs) it actually ended up that she was in 1982. So so they were a really happy young family. They were quite successful. (laughs) and they lived and owned a brand new 40 room hotel in the Philippines. So I thought that was pretty impressive. Very impressive, 40 rooms, wow. Mm, 40 rooms. Um, But on the 16th of July in 1990 at 4.26 Uh PM. Here she goes again. The Gonzalez family, they did actually. (laughs) Very specific. Yeah, they faced a huge loss and I knew that you were gonna say that as soon as I said exact times. So what happens? It happened? makes me worry. I know, and it should make you worry. <laughs> I get very okay, exact right, when bad fine. things are about to happen. Okay. So what happened was the Philippines on that date and time had a 7.7 magnitude earthquake that hit the whole region. That's huge. It is huge. So I've never really even felt an earthquake worth remembering, but in Australia, we don't really have any fault lines, do we? Uh, I think, yeah, I think there's rumbles and all sorts of stuff. There's been some recently in down in Melbourne. Yeah. And particularly in mining mm, areas. Nothing. But nothing to that. No, yeah. no, no, no. I think, you know, a couple of garbage bins fall over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but these guys are on a fault line. So they have quite right. big earthquakes. Um, and according mm. to the Richter earthquake scale, it's the type of earthquake that can cause serious damage. And I think the scale goes from like negative numbers up to eight and eight is considered community destroying. Like this, wow. was, this was an earthquake okay. that caused a 125 ground rupture. So the whole ground split for 125 Ks. Wow. And it actually took wow. out, yeah. And it actually took out one thousand six hundred and twenty-one people that day. So it was huge. Wow. And it it really mm. did destroy. So anyway, the Gonzalez home and their hotel was absolutely destroyed. And Teddy actually had to dig his son Seth out of the rubble, saving his life. Wow. Goodness. Yeah. Imagine how scary that would have been as a parent, like having to dig your child out yeah. after such a terrifying event and losing everything. I've seen it on telly and I just, you just cannot imagine, imagine having to like dig through the panic. Imagine the panic. Mm. 
Yeah. And also like this, you know, your son's under there. Yeah. If you move the wrong piece of rubble, are you going to crush him? Mm. Like It would have been terrifying. Yeah. Very terrifying. So luckily their whole family survived this, this event. And the Gonzaleses now had a choice to make. They could either rebuild or try and make a life for themselves somewhere else. So they decided to try for a new life in the beautiful Australia. Mm-hmm. And once they settled in, Teddy set to work trying to kind of get himself requalified to be able to be a practicing lawyer in Australia. And by the late 90s, he'd actually started up his own law firm and specialized in immigration law. So he was really a go-getter with this. He he's yeah, buckled down, man. you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I couldn't speak two languages, let alone qualify for a, a job that requires exact language to to be able to perform it. Mm. So it was around this time that the family brought a home in North Ryde, New South Wales, and moved in. And they had, I'm sorry, I had to bring this up. They had six small puppies living with them too. <laughs> what kind of puppies? Yeah. Um, I couldn't find out, but either way, I love them because I love dog people. I imagine that you spent quite a bit on t- of time trying to find out what kind of puppies they were. <laughs> <laughs> I I did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and yes, it has nothing to do with the case, but at the same time, puppies. puppies. Yeah, puppies. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love me some flukies. <laughs> now, the family had some really high hopes for their kids when they came to Australia. They were really strict Catholics and apparently were quite strict with their parenting. Which I'm guessing is because they just wanted their, their kids to achieve and, and have a good life. And let's face it, which kind of parent doesn't want that for their kid? Mm. So Seth was actually musically inclined, but he actually set that aside to go to university and do a Bachelor of Arts at Macquarie Uni because he wanted to attend medical school. And to attend medical school, obviously, you have to an undergrad bachelor to start with. Oh, so it can be arts. I thought it was science or... Yeah. So it can be any bachelor. Yeah, they prefer it to be a science-based, mm-hmm. but, you know, it doesn't necessarily has, have to be. I know a guy who, and, and I don't know if this is very similar or not, but he went and did a bachelor in computer science, which is right. computers, and then he went and transferred into veterinary science so he could become a doctor and a vet. Uh-huh. Right. So I'm kind of assuming it's the same. He just needed it to get the credit up to get in. Okay. All right. So... Yeah, so he went and did that. He was also working part-time as a paralegal at his dad's firm and Claudine, his sister, his baby sister, she was actually still in high school but she was also still studying. Mm-hmm. But she uh, she had a little bit of an issue because she was a teenage girl uh-huh. and she liked a boy. <gasps> My goodness. I know. And that was taking the focus from her studies. So her parents actually sent her to live with an aunt in Melbourne. Wow. To complete high school. Wow, that's quite extreme. (laughs) That's a lot, yeah. Um, You know there's still boys in Melbourne though, right? No, no, there's no boys in Melbourne. Everyone knows that. (laughs) Okay. Okay, all right. (laughs) Definitely not. Um, I believe it was a particular Mm -mm. boy that they didn't approve of. Okay, all right. That makes more sense. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I did think it was a little bit extreme, but I don't know them. I don't know the situation. I mean, for all we know, he had, like, a mullet that just wasn't amazing, unlike all those guys out there with amazing mullet. Oh, look, I would do the same then. Yeah, you'd have to do that. You'd save her from this dating shame. (laughs) Anyway, let's skip to why we're all here today. So on the 10th of July 2001, 
at 11.48 p.m., Uh emergency services got an absolute heartbreaking call from Seth Gonzalez. And we actually have the recording of that triple O call here. So I'm just going to warn everyone, I am going to play that now. And in case you don't feel like listening to it, then maybe skip ahead about 15 seconds. Or if you don't want to hear about, you know, horrible, heinous murders, then um, we will see you in the next episode. We'll so, talk about uh, horrible, heinous murders now. there too, though. So, you know. Yeah, we will. Yeah. 100%. I think the people that are here want to hear this stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to play that for you now. Okie doke. Please come! Someone has someone has hurt my parents and my family. Sorry? Someone has shot my parents. Please come! What? Someone's what? Someone has shot my parents. I think no, breathing down the floor. What suburb are you in? They're not breathing. What do I do? What suburb are you in? North Ride. North Ride. Yes. And your parents are both they're both being shot, have they? Yeah, we will. We will. We're sending the ambulance now. Uh, oh my gosh, that's heart wrenching. Yeah, I know. He sounds so upset. Seth, wow. Like I can't imagine. He how really, really does. Finding your family like that would just be heartbreaking. There's blood everywhere. Oh my gosh. Mm. So after this, Seth then ran to the neighbor's house to try and get help for his family. And when the emergency services arrived, they found a pretty horrible scene there, like obviously. Mm. Inside the house was Ted, Mary and Claudine's bloodied bodies. Teddy and Mary had actually been stabbed numerous times, not shot. And Claudine had been severely bashed to death. (laughs) So all of them, unfortunately, were deceased. Where was there guns? Like he said that they'd been shot. I think he may have been confused at that point. Is what and the police were going. When with. did she come back from Melbourne? So yeah, so she was actually home because it was school holidays. Oh no! So she'd just come home for the holidays. Oh no! Yeah. So Seth then, in front of his neighbours, who obviously had run over to see what they could do to help, straddled his parents' bodies and was wailing and. Um, that's when they noticed that spray painted across the walls were the words, fuck off Asians, KKK. Oh my God. Wow. That's mm. pretty intense. What, what? Yeah. Was it with blood or was it spray paint? No, it was just spray paint. But, right. and I found that really strange because the KKK don't really exist here as far as I'm aware. No. And it's also, I thought that was um, for like black people rather than asian people like is it oh no i th- i think they hate everyone who's not white oh right okay mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean you know they'd really like to make sure that they interbreed as closely as possible in the kkk okay right. just really go after their cousins and sisters and brothers yeah yeah i don't know if we might just maybe cut that bit out but mm. <laughs> nope. nope i'm standing by that if you think the Aryan race is superior. We are not friends. No, no, we're not. We're not. No. Mm-hmm. I have a very multicultural family. So uh, they can eat a bag of dicks. <laughs> yeah. 
I'll back that one up. Yeah, nice knowing you. Uh, good, right. Back to the story. Hey, they would go after. They would go. They'll after go after anyone. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Mine so, is quite mixed often. blood, also. So, yep. Mm, but you look the right way sometimes. Yes, you know, I with do. blonde hair. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So anyway, back to the story. <laughs> so naturally, the people immediately started to investigate this as a hate crime. Yeah. And by the people, I mean the police. Mm. Seth actually went on TV and offered a $100,000 reward for any information about who caused the deaths of his family. Does he have access to 100000 Yeah, they were quite well off. Remember, they had that 40 that 40 room hotel and it would have been insured. Um, plus they owned a legal firm mm. and we all know people who own legal firms are flush with cash. But how did he have access to it? Well, because he immediately um, contacted the accountant. Oh, wow. But we'll get to that. Okay. All right. So he offered a hundred thousand dollars reward for any info on who caused the death of his family. And then of course, and I think this is the hardest part when you lose a family member or a friend or anyone you're close to, he had to arrange the funeral, mm. which was actually three funerals. Yeah. So that's just horrible. And living in the house um, after the bloodbath too. That's it. Yeah. And I know some people like funerals as a way to kind of celebrate people's lives. Mm, no. But I hate them. I do not I like I feel like they are just torture for the living. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. I mm. Yeah. Not, no. So Seth actually sang at his family's funeral, One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey. And apparently he sang it quite well as he stood in front of the mourners and the bodies of his mother, father and sister. That's an interesting choice. Mariah Carey. That's a yeah. high range. It's a high, it's a high range. Um, but apparently he was able to handle it, which is good. Wow. Um I don't know if I would have been able to do that with my family all deceased in front of me, but you know, that's, no. everyone deals with things differently. So, so naturally, after all of this nastiness was done, the police needed to start interviewing people about the events of what happened that night. And initially they thought it was a hate crime, which, you know, makes sense with what was sprayed on the wall mm -hmm. or a robbery gone wrong but it soon became apparent that there wasn't anything missing or of value taken. So the robbery was ruled out pretty quickly. Right. And as you know, as we all know, the first place you start looking is those closest to the victim and you work your way out into the wider community. So the police interviewed Seth and, and he advised them that he'd actually driven home and sat in the driveway of the house that evening after he'd left work at his dad's legal firm. And because he was originally meant to meet a friend called Sam Delicio, but Sam had called him and said, Hey, look, I'm running late. I'm, I'm going to be delayed. So he actually said he sat in the driveway briefly to use up some time and he didn't go inside the house. And then he just turned and drove out and went to Kings Grove, which is about 20 Ks away to go see a friend, but he couldn't find the guy's address. So then he went and met Sam and picked him up at 8 PM and then during the murders, they'd actually been at dinner at Planet Hollywood and then gone to a gaming centre in Sydney. And he'd arrived home just before 12 to find his family had been attacked and made that phone call. Right. So he said when he got there, he tried to stop his sister bleeding out by applying pressure to her neck because she had some injuries to her neck. But the blood was gushing out. 
And he also said that he did CPR at that time, which obviously didn't work. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. You don't get over that stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That's about. So like that's this, crazy. this alone you might think is he's a bit traumatised, he might be a bit confused, he wish he'd done more stuff like that because it kind of piqued the police's interest. They decided to take a look a little bit closer at Seth. So I'm going to take you back a bit. Right. Remember I said that Seth was studying to get into medicine? Yes. Well, it turns out he'd actually dropped out of school. He was pretty average at his at his studies. Academically, he was not gifted. And he just kept saying that he was going to keep his parents happy. And he was even falsifying university documents to support it. <laughs> and the reason he was doing that is because he had benefits that he got if he was at university. In particular, his car, which he loved. He got to keep his car while he was at uni. Right. So it had all come out recently that he was dating a girl and his parents didn't approve of her either. There was a four-year age gap and she was older. And they thought she was a bit of a distraction since they were actually talking about getting engaged. Right. So things weren't super rosy at home because they actually discovered that he had been falsifying those university documents and they were now aware that he was not doing well at university. And he was basically told either lift your grades next semester so that you don't get expelled or we will take away your car. Oh, wow. So not no, great. taking away a car from a young man. Mm, yeah, he was yeah. taking it quite hard. Mm-hmm. Was it a fancy car? Like what kind of car was it? It was a blue one. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I don't know did cars. it have cup holders? <laughs> yeah, it was a blue one. It had with cup holders. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I can't guarantee that literally. Yeah. I, it was a blue one and it had his name on it and it yeah, said Seth. So you paid for the extra amazing uh, number plates. Ah, so it must have been like a fancy one. Look, it it looks like one from like the 1990s to me. So I didn't think it was fancy or early 2000s, but hey, he loved Mm. it. And that's what's important. If the puppies were in it, you would have known what it was though. A (laughs) hundred percent. There were no puppies in the car. Therefore, it is not important to me. Mm -mm. You didn't even look. (laughs) There were some other things that got their attention at this time also. So shortly after the loss of his entire family, Mm. Seth immediately started to do some kind of questionable things. So a few days after their deaths, he contacted the family accountant, as I was saying before, about the money. Uh And he asked about his inheritance, which was established to be about $1.5 million dollars right and this was back in like the early 2000s so that was not just you know a cardboard box in saint leonard's that was a decent amount of money right and he also was making inquiries about getting a fifteen thousand dollar government grant as a payout for a victim of crime he then moved himself into a nice apartment in chatswood put a deposit on a new Lexus worth $173,000. I don't understand. And he assured the dealership, yeah, he assured the dealership he would be paying the balance with with his inheritance. Right. Oh, and he also pawned his mother's jewellery and sold his dad's car. Oh, wow. What? How soon after their deaths? Oh, I'll just wait. (laughs) I'm not done yet. Okay. Righto, righto. Just to top off the weirdness, he also contacted his godmother in the Philippines Mm -hmm. and asked her to give him $190,000 
because he had a brain tumor that needed surgery. What? Yeah, she gave him nothing. Why 190,000? Is that how much the Lexus was? Is that what you said? It was 173,000. So I'm guessing he wanted to get some upgrades and stuff. Right. Like Mm. the little, you know, the, the, you know, the bit on the back, the flappy bit on the back. The the floor mat. Oh, yeah. The extra cup holders. Yeah. 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 So the thing we also need to realize is this all happened in that period of time between their deaths and the funeral. But Sue, that's how quickly he did it. What, like within a week, maybe maximum two weeks, yeah? Yeah. I'm so sad. Mm -hmm. I can't move on with my life at all. But wait, I can make all of these phone Mm -hmm. calls and, yeah, wow, buy new Devastated, but definitely making sure I'm cashing up. Okay. So I retract all the things that I was saying before about like, oh, wow, that must have been so hard and, oh, the poor guy. Yeah, I'm I'm reserving my judgment for now. so look those are normal things because that's what you would normally think and he did sound very upset in that phone call to the police but this had started to get the police super curious Mm. and they really started to look into his alibis now right so the investigator on the case had already started to question the whole robbery angle yeah um because there were a few things missing like there was no forced entry and despite the house being a mess nothing actually seemed to have been taken they also worked out that the whole crime would have taken three hours to complete and that was going off the times of death of the family members so because of that they decided it was unlikely to have been thieves because thieves usually want to get in and out they don't hang around for hours three hours were people asleep would that were they asleep and he just We'll get into it. Sorry. Yep. So so there were other interesting things they found as well. So when you are involved in a crime scene, even if you're the innocent family member and you actually are, you still might be asked to give over your clothing to the police. And that's what happened with Seth. They asked for his clothing and they found there was virtually no blood on it. They did find a bit of spray paint on his clothes and a few specks of blood. So you remember the spray, the spray paint on the wall, the fuck off Asians KKK one? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's yep. a bit weird that he had flecks of spray paint on him, huh? Well, unless he rubbed against it, but no, that wouldn't yeah, happen. They, they that would, would be a they smudge. Would be smears. And then yeah, he said he was, was no doing smudges. CPR and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he also so, straddled his parents, though, when and screamed he did. when they... So how does he not have blood? Okay. All right. So all of this combined with the fact that Seth was pretty cold about the whole massacre of his whole family thing. Mm -hmm. And the police started to really think he was involved in this one. Right. Yeah. So by December that year, the police had managed to prove that the alibi that Seth first gave the police was not correct. Okay. It's thought that the first alibi he gave was actually because his father's client, Mariella Pavone, had been to the house and seen his car when she'd gone to drop off some papers in his mailbox. Right. And then, and that was around the time, that was around 4, 4.30, around then. Okay. Um, and then at about 6 p.m., his aunt Emily had stopped by, seen his car in the carport and actually knocked on the door but got no answer. So he kind of needed to cover for that. Six o'clock, okay. So there was also the pesky fact that he claimed that he got home that night and his sister had been gushing blood. 
So interesting fact from a medical point of view, people who are dead don't gush blood. It's just not a thing. And during no. her autopsy, Claudine was had been found to have been the first to die. So she'd already been dead for a number of hours before Seth claimed he got home and had tried to save her life. Right. With the gushing dramatically the blood. stopping the gushing blood. Yeah. She was so, bashed brutally to death. Yeah. It turned out she was more than bashed. So Seth gave the police a second alibi in January 2002 when they basically said they had a witness that had seen his car in the driveway around the time that Claudine had been killed. So this time he claimed he'd gone home, driven his car there and left it, then got in a taxi, gone to a brothel in Chatswood. I wonder if it was the pink door. (laughs) Had a sex brothel. with a prostitute. Interesting choice. Mm. Right. Had sex right. with a prostitute and returned right. home, got in his car without going inside and gone to his friend Sam's house. Were there receipts for the brothel? Well, so he said, that's fine. You can just go speak to the prostitute. You can speak to the, tra- the taxi driver. They're going to be able to back it up. The only problem that was with that is that the prostitute who he named um when the police went to speak to her not only did she say that never happened it turned out she wasn't even working that night oh wow and the taxi driver the taxi driver said yeah he tried to pay me off to lie to you oh whooper days so yeah so no one believed him by this point right by this point they were like your your pants they're in cindery buddy so hang on so how did he know the prostitute's name like did he try to pay her off too or yeah i i think seth had been to see prostitutes before okay all right good i hope his Mm -hmm. new new couldn't find anything kind of new yep yeah look i mean there was nothing to say how he knew the prostitute's name but we can pretty much assume if he felt comfortable enough with someone to say hey they'll cover for me and give me an alibi after the brutal slaying of my entire family he probably had met her before yeah 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 mm. yeah mm. so i bet by now you're wondering what really happened yeah i am um you know you know i'm starting to get a bit of a feeling here yeah mm. so seth well he was a little bit of a bitch boy right His parents had threatened to take away his car and all his toys if he didn't focus Mm -hmm, on his uni work mm -hmm, and actually mm -hmm. make something of himself because he'd pretty much been slacking off and just living off mummy and daddy. Right. He was really into his swag. So Mm -hmm. he, you know, it was all about the looks for him and showing everyone how wonderful and, and well off he was and all of that stupid stuff. Yeah. So naturally, when his parents said to him, we are going to take away your shiny toys, he was like, well, I I clearly need to kill my family because that's the answer. Oh, yeah, that's exactly where I jumped to straight away. Someone's going to take away my car. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah. Do you guys out there like, can you hear my eyes rolling in the back of my head as I said that? Mm, I can see them. I'm pretty sure I got eye strain. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) So the first thing he did is he Googled some poison that he could get his paws on to kill his family. Okay. Um, And he actually bought some seeds online to do the deed. 
seeds. Now they never release what seeds they were. Oh. Um, I have some good ideas about what it was, yeah. but they came from Singapore and and other places overseas. Was he going to grow them, or and they were actually toxic seeds? No, the seeds are toxic. Okay, all right. Um, so in June of two thousand and one, he slipped those seeds into his mum's food. Oh, resulting in her being admitted to hospital with suspected food poisoning which luckily she survived. Wow, he's a gem. Yeah, he is. Her survival, however, kind of freaked him out and he decided he better come up with a genius plan to explain this food poisoning. Like, I feel like you would just leave it alone and everyone would just write it off as food poisoning. But instead, he wrote an anonymous letter to a food company and to the federal police (sighs) and the quarantine service centre alleging to be a food tamperer wow he's smart Mm, yeah yeah so this did come back and bite him in the ass though because on the day of the family's murders the police actually found a container with possibly poisonous plants inside (gasps) in his room right and they were later able to get his fingerprints off the envelope of that food tampering letter he sent out so he clearly was not amazing at dealing with little details that right. one might consider if planning a murder, yeah. like, you know, fingerprints. Yeah, yeah. So he's a bit of a muppet. Wow. So now he'd given two alibis, mm-hmm. which were not flying, mm-hmm. and they had a failed murder attempt on his family already that he, he just – he wasn't looking like he was going to get away on oh this one. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, imagine that. You raised this kid his whole life and then he's just like, you're taking away my car. Pull him out from you. the rubble of an earthquake. I bet he was yeah. regretting that. Pulled him out from underneath the mm-hmm. rubble. Yeah. Mm. So on the 13th of June in 2002 at 8 a.m., the police went to Seth's new luxury bachelor pad in Chatswood and they actually placed him under arrest for the murders of his father, mother and baby sister. Mm. So now we're going to go through that day and what happened. Okay. So it was July 10th, 2001, and Seth left work at his dad's law firm at about 4 p.m. Some people say 3.30, but let's go with 4 p.m. And he travelled home to 6 Collins Street in Ride. He arrived at home at 4.30 p.m. and he parked in the car park, which Mm -hmm. is just out the front. And before he got out of the car, he actually reached back and grabbed a baseball bat. He then walked in through the kitchen and grabbed two of the biggest kitchen knives out of the kitchen blocking on their on their table right and side note this is why i don't have knife blocks because it is way too easy for someone to find your knives just saying (laughs) mine's in a drawer (laughs) mine is hidden in a cupboard Mm -hmm. he then went up to his sister's room and savagely beat her to death with at least six blows from the baseball bat He hit her with such ferocity that there were dents in the walls from the bat and sprays of her blood across the walls and furniture. What a monster! Oh, it gets better. He then strangled her and stabbed her. He stabbed her five times in the neck and twice in the abdomen. Wow. And they're not sure about which came first, like the stabbing or the the strangling or the the bat. They're not sure because it was just... It was a mess. Mm. And obviously she was alive. She must have been alive for each of those things mm. for them to not know th- yeah. what happened when because they're not yeah. post-mortem injuries, are they? No. No, wow. she was aware of all of it. 
Wow. So Danny left the room and, and waited patiently in the house for about an hour until his mum came home. Oh. So she walked in the door and she had a really set way of doing things. So she would come in the house, she would put her keys down, she would take off her shoes and then she'd put her handbag somewhere specific in the house. Mm-hmm. That was her routine. So she walked in the door that day and she was holding a handbag and her shoes were still on and he immediately attacked her. He stabbed her multiple times. He injured her face, her neck, her chest and abdomen. And he finally killed her when he slashed her windpipe in two. Oh. She made it as far as the lounge room, but when they found her, she still had her shoes on. Her handbag was right next to her. That's how quickly he just went her as soon as she walked in. Wow. So once again, he just sat down and waited. And then... How many times did he stab her? uh, Numerous times. They didn't actually state how many times, but a lot. Wow. So just before seven o'clock, his dad, Teddy Gonzalez, walked through his front door. He closed it behind him and was immediately set upon by Seth. And this was the most vicious attack seth seemed to have some serious real anger here and even compared to the attacks on his mum and sister he stabbed his father in the neck chest and abdomen with such deep wounds that he actually severed his spinal cord almost wow that's strength and he hit him in the heart lung everything like the rage behind this act was insane wow once his dad was dead He then went and spray painted fuck off Asians KKK, which is how we got that spray paint on his clothes, those little flecks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He disposed of the clothing and shoes and weapons he'd used and they've never actually been recovered. And then he went and met his friend Sam to go to dinner and the video arcade. He is insane. Please don't say he got an insanity ruling. Like that's complete disassociation well i'm just amazed he was able to eat after all this like what an amazing little yeah complete psychopath and to sit down and calmly wait like what did he do play phone games or something like my goodness no they went to they went to like one of those time zones or something oh no i meant in between in between each murder he just sat down and you know what did some knitting or something like you know just to be so calm and sit and wait yeah, exactly. Just and crazy. Like, so thought out. We knew exactly how he was going to do it. Mm. So yep. then later that evening, once he'd made sure his alibi was in place, he returned home and that's when he made that triple mm-hmm. O call and ran to the neighbours so that he could really kind of test his acting skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Seth did face a New South Wales Supreme Court and was found guilty of the murders of his entire family. He has been sentenced to three life sentences to be served concurrently. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I read up about what the judge was saying to justify that, he said that although Seth is not really being prevented from being rehabilitated while in prison, it didn't matter because even though it wouldn't serve the community, him being in, in prison for life, Sometimes there's a crime that's so vicious and so aggravated and abhorrent that the punishment required is a life sentence just for the sake of retribution for the family. So that was an interesting one for me. I haven't heard that before. Yeah. So, but is there any chance of parole? Like, is life sentence mean 
there is a chance. Oh, you're nodding. I don't look. There's yeah. always a chance with Australian mm. life sentences. Mm-hmm. But that being said, they, they it doesn't look like he's going to go so well at it. He did have an appeal put in. He, you know, cited that he was young and you know he wasn't a risk to anyone. And they just basically said, "Yeah, nah, <laughs> yeah, nah, you're crazy, nah. yeah, nah, yeah, nah, yeah, nah." Nah. They actually think that he is quite dangerous because he's still not shown any remorse no. about what he did, really. No genuine regret. And what did his sister um, do? I think he's just like waiting to get out so he can go, well, nothing. Yeah. She existed and she was better at school, wow. I guess. And his dad and mum said no. Mm. Yeah, well, also he probably took out his sister because she would have got a cut of the money. And at the end of the day, this all came down to money and toys and things that he wanted. Yeah, Wow. Mm. Now, one interesting thing did actually come from this case. It actually changed the real estate laws in Australia. Ah. Or at least in New South Wales. The house that the murders were committed in stood empty for three years afterwards, but eventually it had to be sold. Right. So it went on the market, but the real estate agent kind of forgot to disclose the history of the house when it was sold to a really lovely Buddhist family in 2005. So right. when they found out afterwards about the murders, there was a whole bunch of litigation and the agent got a whole <laughs> bunch of fines and the family got their money back wow. and it actually became law that you have to disclose violent deaths to prospective buyers. Right. That was kind of violent. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. <laughs> yeah, wow. And also, like, I don't want to live in a house where multiple aggressive murders have happened because bad juju. Bad, bad juju bad juju Mm, you are definitely going to get haunted Mm. so um that is the story of the douchebag Seth Gonzalez yeah okay all right good I need to go cleanse my palate (sighs) you need to go and look at your children in a different way (laughs) (laughs) you can have everything all the shiny things yes it's all right I'm poor just side eye them at the dinner table (laughs) I'm poor. They'll be yeah, fine. They'll be They're fine. They're broke either way. Yeah. Look, while I'm living, they, they, I'm earning a living. So you know, yeah, mm, I'm mm. better off alive than dead. So I guess that's the takeaway, isn't it? Make sure that your children never are aware of how much money you have. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I feel so sorry for his dad though. In that last moment, like I would have just been thinking, I bet you he wished he didn't pull him out of the rubble that day. Oh yeah, because he would have seen his his wife as well. Like she was in the lounge room. Oh, so he got that far in. He would have seen her. Right. Like he would have seen the blood. Yeah, looking at yeah. the um the house plan, oh. he would have he would have seen her. At least that's my theory. He would oh. have known something was up. And I think he fought like yeah. there was a lot of defensive wounds on all three victims. So they did actually see it wow. was Seth and they fought. Mm. So did he have yeah. any wounds on him at all? Like you know, don't think so. Wow. He was very fast and efficient with it. He did it virtually without any like kind of passion behind it. You know how some people might hesitate? Yep. There was no hesitation. Right. He was in there. And fast. They were slaughtered. Yeah. And there was no gun. He said that they were shot. So there was no gun. No gun. So I think he probably mm-hmm. got like a little bit panicked having to make that phone call. So that's when he stuffed it up or alternatively, he did it on purpose. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, exactly. It's hard yeah. to say because, yep. I mean, I think we can all agree that he's definitely a psychopath. No regret has been shown yep. over the death. And and 
I find it really strange that he didn't even care about killing his sister. I don't know why for me that that sounds weirder, but anyway. All of it is just like intense, a baseball bat and knives. Like that's really personal, really, really personal. I'd love to know what yeah. he put, where he put the mm. weapons and clothing as well. And I don't understand how he had a little bit of spray paint on him if he took his clothes off. So did he do that afterwards, did he? So he got changed he and then have. sprayed the wall? Mm. He must have. He must have sprayed it afterwards because he had like a little bit of blood on his clothing. Yeah. But not enough to kind of make sense with his stories. Yeah, right. And not enough to say that he'd done it. Yeah, okay. And yeah, so, I mean, yeah. he did luckily get enough spray paint to kind of make people go raise the eyebrow. Wait a second. But this isn't mm, right. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. So that's it for this week, Darkling. Right. Let us know your thoughts mm. and don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all other types of social media. And I guess we'll speak to you next week. Yeah, and also don't forget to reach out to Beyond Blue or Lifeline if you're feeling, if you're struggling with anything that we've talked about or just struggling in general. All right, guys, we'll catch you next week. Yeah, until then. Until then. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> uh, we're organised. So organised, <laughs> you know. It's not like we haven't done like 12 episodes or something, but, you know, it's fine. Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. it's been a it's day. It's been a day. Okay. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. Bye-bye.